Welcome to the Chicana Motherwork Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our show. We are a collective of Chicana PhD, mother scholars, artists, and activists. We created Chicana Motherwork to amplify the lived experiences of mothers of color within and outside academia. Together, as the Chicana Motherwork Collective, we theorize, write, organize, mother, and create spaces for communal healing and care out of our shared belief that the labor of mothering is a transformative act. Porque sin madres no hay revolución. Hi, and welcome to the Chicana Motherwork Podcast. This is Ceci, and I'm here with Yvette. Before we begin, we want to dedicate this podcast to the memory of Maria Franco, a queer Black mama feminist activist and councilwoman from Brazil. We honor her fight against police brutality and the rights of favela residents and all Black Brazilians. Rest in power, Mariel. So today we're going to be talking about being Chicana moms in academia while navigating autoimmune disease, surviving childhood trauma, and forms of ancestral healing. So today we're going to risk the personal, as Gloria Anzaldúa writes about, because we want others to know that they're not alone and that there are many pathways for self and communal healing. This is Yvette speaking. So I will be joining Ceci today in our discussion about autoimmune disease. I want to start quickly with some definitions. So what is an autoimmune disease? Um, I'm sure a lot of you have heard that phrase. Um, Generally speaking, it refers to a disease in which the body's immune system attacks healthy cells. So some examples of autoimmune diseases that you may have heard of include rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, celiac disease, type 1 diabetes, colitis in the form of ulcerative or microscopic, and so on. And um, some of the symptoms range, and and they really range from person to person because these are completely um, different diseases. Um, So for many of us, though, we may um, be dealing with fatigue, with achy muscles, with skin redness, with hair loss, skin rashes, belly pain, bloating, diarrhea, frequent urination, chronic pain, depression, anxiety. It's a number of different things, and and some of these can be early signs, and some of these um, will be ongoing. Sometimes they're more like flare-ups, so um, it really just depends. You know, for for some of us, like I said earlier, it, it, it may come and go, or we'll have periods of really intense symptoms, and um, for some of us, it's actually just constant, constant pain. Um, but um, there's, it, you know, it, f- a lot of times there's no way to really predict what will happen to you when you have an autoimmune disease. Yeah, thanks, Yvette. There are just so many unknowns with autoimmune disease, but there is some recent scientific research that is shedding a little more light. So recently there are links that have been found between autoimmune disease, childhood trauma, and chronic stress. So stress and childhood trauma are big factors with chronic health issues. Um, because the stress from childhood trauma, it's not just something that happened in the past. It's actually um, ongoing and uh, it can change someone's um, biology in many ways. And another thing that's hard about autoimmune disease is, is that there are no cures and there's only treatments, um, at least from a Western perspective. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, women of color um, 
healing methods later. So for autoimmune disease, as Yvette was saying, there's just really no way to tell what will happen, whether symptoms will clear up or not, because the actual root causes of autoimmune dysfunction are just still unknown. And to make things worse, there is no single test to diagnose autoimmune diseases. Western doctors usually will not ask you about your history of trauma or adverse childhood experiences, and many of them won't even really test for autoimmune illness. Um, People who do finally get a diagnosis usually have to deal with their symptoms for many years and go to different doctors before they finally get tested um, because oftentimes they're told or made to believe that it's just in their heads or they just give them painkillers or antidepressants to uh, kind of mask the symptoms. And of course, if you're a woman of color or person of color, um, it's even more difficult because of the gender and racial disparities in the medical industrial complex. And not only that, but because autoimmune disease is so individual, um, a treatment that might work for one person might not work for another person with the exact same autoimmune issue. So it's just the long process of trial and error. And even the trial and error is a lot to deal with. And even that can cause even more stress and anxiety. Yeah, and I just wanted to kind of add to that and say that the, the medical industrial complex tends to focus on, you know, the band-aid system and prescribing medications. And so for someone like me, I didn't get an official diagnosis until six years into dealing with this pain. And that's after a lot of advocating and seeing a wide range of different doctors. And like Ceci said, especially as women of color, we constantly have to advocate and keep, you know, practically begging our doctors to do multiple exams um, in the hopes that something will come up so that we can know how to treat it. Um, but it's it's very frustrating. And that's why we want to offer later on in the podcast some other forms of healing, either by going to Women of Color Healers or um, doing some readings on additional things that you can do um, while also seeking um, help from a medical professional. Thanks for sharing that, Yvette. That's a really good point. As women of color, we have both used Western medicine and holistic methods, which means caring for our mind, bodies, and our spirits to help manage our autoimmune symptoms and mental health. So that kind of leads to like the next point that we want to make, that there's a connection between autoimmune diseases and anxiety, depression, and stress. It's really hard to tell what comes first, autoimmune disease or the anxiety, stress, and depression, especially for those of us who have uh, what's called adverse childhood experiences. Um, more of the recent research is showing that the more adverse childhood experiences you have, the more likely you are to develop an autoimmune disease and other illnesses such as stroke, cancer, heart attacks, and so on. But as women of color, we want to disrupt that deficit perspective because um, although many of us have survived um childhood trauma, we want to use a growth mindset for ourselves and our communities. And as women of color, I think it's also really important to remember and know that we have very long legacies of healing. And I'm thinking specifically of the book Red Medicine by Patricia Gonzalez, who is a birth worker of color and an academic. And so she is recovering many of these Latinx traditional healing knowledges, which have been hidden or suppressed. And these are the healing traditions that have sustained us for generations even before colonialism and still after colonialism. And these are healing practices that can help us heal and manage our symptoms. 
And um, it's important to uplift these kinds of ancestral healing practices because on the other hand, um, mental health services often centers white people, although that is changing more now, but we just need more and more resources specifically for um, that center people of color. And lastly, we want to mention how academic spaces can be toxic for first-gen, low-income women of color, especially for those who are invested in social justice and not just research, and very specifically mothers of color because um, these institutions are often hostile to our mothering needs. So in many ways, we're often pressured to just conform into academia, but it can come at the cost of our mental and physical health. So now we want to transition into sharing our testimonials about how we navigate all of these overlaps, the overlaps between autoimmune illness, surviving childhood trauma, toxic academic spaces, and our identities as mothers of color. Okay, so um, I should first state that um, I have microscopic colitis. Um, it's a condition where... Um, the, my immune system attacks my colon. And um, I guess I should say that my health issues related to this autoimmune disease can date back to 2011. That's when I first started to have tummy troubles. It was um, at that time I was in my second year of graduate school. I had returned from a three-month trip to Chiapas, and I had had a number of different bichos in my stomach. I had salmonella, E. coli, amoebas, worms. I just, it was a number of different things. And it took several antibiotics to treat myself. And then when I returned to the States, I made sure to get tested. All my tests came out clean. So when I sought um, help from a specialist, because um, issues weren't going away, um, they diagnosed me with an umbrella term called IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, I think a lot of people have probably heard of IBS and you may know someone if you don't already have IBS. Um, it's just a one-size-fits-all term for those of us that have tummy troubles that can't be diagnosed. So from then on, I actually got used to daily stomach aches, to cramping, to never having normal stools. Um, it's really uncomfortable to talk about it, too, because I'd switch from constipation to diarrhea. Um, and the diarrhea was on the more stressful days. Um, being a public was a nightmare. It was stress-inducing. It was anxiety-inducing. Traveling was even worse because I never knew when um, my symptoms would flare up. And then when I got pregnant in 2013, throughout my pregnancy, my IBS symptoms only worsened. And after I had um, my son, after I had Emmy, um, uh, my symptoms were more on the side of IBSD or um, irritable bowel syndrome with diarrhea. So that became my norm. And um, it was really frustrating and exhausting to have to be constantly canceling class, calling it sick at my three part-time jobs and wondering how in the world I would be able to maintain a full-time job with these constant um, symptoms. So by the time I finished my PhD, it was 2016, I had landed my first full-time job and I was still getting these symptoms, but not only was I getting them, but I got to the point where I was getting stomach flu symptoms. So not just diarrhea and stomach aches, but intense cramping, um, unbearable cramping with diarrhea and vomiting for hours straight, if not for days. And it was happening every other week. It was not sustainable. So then when I moved to Santa Barbara for my new job, um, my mission was 
like I gotta I gotta figure out my health issues. I gotta figure out what the fuck is wrong with my system and what is going on with my stomach. So I decided to go back and see a gastroenterologist. This was another person I had seen because I had seen a number of different specialists. And um, the person that I had seen when I was in LA prescribed me medication and it helped, um, but it still wasn't a quote unquote cure. I was still having daily pain, um, daily pelvic pain, daily stomach aches, daily cramping. And so I decided, okay, I just gotta be <laughs> brave and fuck it, I have to get a colonoscopy. So I went, I moved forward with that. And through that colonoscopy, um, I was diagnosed with microscopic colitis. So um, now that I know that, um, in August of last year, I decided to try to change my diet and to um, try to maintain a mostly vegan diet. I say mostly because I'm not 100%, but I try to just Plant-based and petty. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of our hashtags, plant-based and petty. But even plant-based, I was telling Ceci, I'm like, well, I'm not really like oil-free or like, you know, some folks are just only eat vegetables and only and avoid um, processed foods. And I still have certain of the, the vegan processed meats, things like that. But I, um, I do avoid um, animal-based proteins and dairy and... Um, eggs, things like that. And ever since I made that switch, I, my daily pain has actually gone away. Um, that doesn't mean that it's my cure for microscopic colitis because I still get flare-ups. And in fact, my last flare-up was um, last month and that um, sent me to the ER twice. And at that point, I was pooping blood for a week. It was really scary. It was not fun. Um, I had to miss a week of work. And, um, and, the only thing when I, when I go to when I go to doctors, they tell me is like, sorry, you can't do anything for you. All, all you can do is manage it with diet and medication. And if things get really bad, then you've got surgery. Um, and, you know, when I tell them that I went vegan and that it's helped, they just ignore me. And I think that's really fascinating that we've got these um, often sometimes it's like going to like a decolonial diet that can help you, or it may help you a lot more than, say, the medications that doctors are giving you, and yet um, they just ignore you when you tell them, or they say, oh, that's quite, what did they say? What did the doctor said? Um, he, made, he made a comment along the lines of, like, that is such an extreme dietary change. No. <laughs> it's just like, and it's not extreme to be having me pop, like, three, four different kinds of pills? Seriously? Anyway. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention, um, that I find interesting and, and that I wanted to talk to Ceci about and talk to you all about is that a lot of the folks that I know that also have autoimmune diseases, um, share experiences of, um, childhood trauma or, um, adverse childhood experiences. And I know that for me, um, I, uh, was, or at, as a child, Verbal and physical abuse was the norm, and it's something that I have talked about in the past, and I'm okay with talking about it. I know, you know, my dad was abusive. He wasn't, you know, it's always so, um, we have a lot of mixed feelings about it, because on the one hand, in some ways, he could have been a really amazing dad, and in other ways, he was very scary and had anger issues and was, yeah, verbally and physically abusive to us and to my mom. Um, and... And then, of course, my dad passed away when I was 12, so that was also traumatic. And 
ever since I was a child, I've always had issues with um, anxiety and panic attacks and even um, and some periods agoraphobia. And, um, you know, the mental health aspect of it, I've always related it to my childhood trauma, but I never really thought about how as a child I always had, you know, tummy aches. So whenever I got nervous, I would get tummy aches. And I would also always have really bad cramping during my periods, and I would have um, um, really heavy bleeding during my periods. And I, I never really made that connection of the ways that trauma can also affect me, not just mentally with my mental health, but also physically. Um, and so that's just something that I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to hear maybe Ceci's thoughts about that. And and I'd love to hear your reactions, too, after you listen to the episode of, like, in what ways do you find that possibly adverse childhood reactions have impacted your health in, in different ways? What do you think, Ceci? Thanks for sharing your testimonial with us, Yvette. It's just really powerful, and it shows how you were able to um, manage the effects of childhood trauma and then also later as you developed your autoimmune illness. And I think I also really resonated with your testimonial because I also had similar experiences in my childhood. I was also verbally and physically abused. Um, my family life at home was very, very dysfunctional. I just remember a lot of um, screaming and yelling and anger and there was um, undiagnosed mental illness and my dad was an alcoholic and um, I just always had anxiety and stress because I was always afraid the lights and gas or water would be turned off due to non-payment because my parents were very poor. You know, we'd go to food banks and, you know, get charity gifts during the holidays. And I think I internalized a lot of shame around poverty. And it's something that I'm still dealing with just because I grew up with such, such a sense of fear, um, and Western medicine now calls like this type of chronic um, ongoing trauma uh, complex PTSD or it's CPTSD. And it's something that I still deal with every single day in terms of my anxiety and depression. Um, so it's something that um, I'm still working on, but it definitely is something childhood trauma is something that doesn't just go away on its own. It needs to be managed with uh, different methods. So I want to share uh, my testimonial and I think it's it's hard to talk about it because I think there is um, a lot of silence and there's just a lot of discomfort around these kinds of stories. I think, um, you know, in many sometimes when I'm around, um, you know, colleagues or uh, friends or other people I meet and they have like um, like healthier family dynamics and it's like I can't relate at all because I've only known my family is still very dysfunctional because we do have a lot of, and you know, the problems are uh, institutional. So it's like generational poverty and racism and classism and all of these things. But um, I think I've always kind of like struggled to relate to others because it's just like, you know, when I go home for the holidays, you know, I live in LA and my family lives in Northern California. Um, it's not a happy time. It's, I always get um, re, you know, triggered because I'm, you know, I stay a couple of days and then I, I'm kind of like immersed in that kind of uh, the same kinds of dysfunctional patterns that I grew up with. And as a kid, uh, I was able to my survival strategy was suppressing. But as I've gotten older, it's just like I can't suppress it anymore because I have had physical um, and mental health like 
um, consequences. So that survival mechanism does not work for me anymore. And I think that also is related to my autoimmune condition. Um, so it started more recently than Yvette's. And um, it's also not as, I don't have as much um, severity of like physical symptoms or physical pain, but I do have, um, I was diagnosed with stress-induced alopecia areata and that was diagnosed in um, December, 2017. So very recently. And um, alopecia, it's an autoimmune disease and it means um, patchy hair loss. So um, it could be one patch or multiple patches on the scalp. Um, it could lead sometimes to complete hair loss of the whole scalp or even the entire body. So the loss of all of your body hair. But for me, um, I have the so far just one patch and it's like about the size of a quarter and um so because I have a lot of hair because it's like curly, big, curly black hair. So I'm able to kind of just people can't see it. But uh, I still at the back of my mind deal with um, can people see it? Like, what are people going to say? Um, I feel vulnerable because it's visible. And then for me, it, it was like a physical manifestation of like the stress that I had been suppressing for years. So I think it started in December in December, this past December, because, um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that, um, my family lost their home of 16 years and it, at the end it happened like really, really fast. And, um, they didn't have like a place to go. So, you know, I'm here in LA, you know, in my PhD program, um, you know, raising my son and, you know, trying to make progress on my dissertation. And, um, at the same time, trying to help my family in Northern California, because I thought that they would be homeless. So then I had to do like, um, a GoFundMe because they didn't have, they literally did not have any other resources. Um, and so I think that's when it started. So that was maybe like August or September of last year when they actually lost the house. And then December was when I visited them for winter break. And that's when, my hair loss started because, um, um, it was only a little tiny spot, but then it got bigger. It got much bigger in January. And that's when I went to the doctor and was diagnosed. Um, you know, I was referred to a dermatologist. And, um, so I think it was really hard to see my parents for winter break because, um, you know, I always have, there's just like a lot of really deep, um, issues. And it does go back to intergenerational trauma because I know, um, it's like the way that my dad treats my mom. It's like, I know like my dad has not really shared much about his childhood, but he just has said that, um, I think like his grandparents were abusive or his grandfather was abusive and his, his father was abusive. So, you know, I know in additional trauma means it's like pain that you pass on from one person to another because they're hurting. And, you know, I know, um, we should have, you know, accountability, but at the same time, like, I know, I think my parents just did the best that they could do just because, you know, they were poor, they were Spanish speaking immigrants. Um, they didn't have resources to go and, uh, to find a way to deal with their own pain. And, uh, you know, I think that's, so that's kind of what, um, I'm, I'm still grappling with that right now. Um, so in winter break, it was really hard for me because, um, you know, I, my, I saw where my mom and dad were living and my two younger brothers also, uh, go live with my mom and dad because they have, um, 
mental health uh, issues as well to the point that they're not able to work. So it was four of them, you know, living in a one bedroom apartment. Um, you know, so I go in there with my son for winter break and there's like uh, no room, like all of their stuff from whether we're living the house because they lived in a house before, you know, crammed into like this one bedroom apartment and like mattresses on the floor and just like garbage bags full of their stuff everywhere. And just like the environment just felt so toxic and heavy. And so when I came back, um, it's when I got diagnosed in January with alopecia. Um, I had never even heard of it actually. Um, and I didn't even know that it was an autoimmune issue until I was diagnosed with it. Um, and since then, so it's only been since January where I'm starting to now as, you know, 31, being a 31 year old Chicana in a PhD program with a son. And only now that I'm trying to do these other, um, uh, really healing or like growth kinds of, uh, like a growth plan for myself. So I've been going to, um, therapy and reading books and journaling and doing meditation and acupuncture. And I'm trying like an anti-inflammatory diet and, you know, I'm kind of just, uh, really trying so many things because I really do want to heal, even though, um, I've these past couple of months, I've honestly just felt like a mess and, you know, but I still have to like go through my day and, um, and emotionally it's been extremely hard. So I've been emotionally just very, very exhausted. So I don't have, um, you know, the same kind of, uh, physical or like chronic pain that other autoimmune diseases have, but I think it's just, um, the emotional work and the mental health work has what's been really, um, exhausting. So I think that's kind of where I am now. Um, I do want to keep working on myself and my growth and my healing because I want to break those cycles of intergenerational trauma the way that, um, you know, my parents, they did their best with me, but I want to do things, um, a different way and, um, to parent my son in a different way. And I also think of intergenerational trauma, um, you know, based on the work that I did with, um, the Raising Liberty Children workshop with the uh, mothers who are incarcerated, you know, I do see that there's a big need to keep um, bringing not only more awareness about intergenerational trauma for families of color and people of color, but also um, just in the wider community, how do we collectively heal? So uh, while I'm healing myself, I think I'm also like trying to do that healing work, even though I don't feel qualified, like, oh, I feel like I have all these problems that I've been like suppressing for so long. And I'm, I feel like I'm barely just now starting to, um, address them really the root causes, but at the same time, I do want to help others. And I do want to be, um, you know, keep doing like trauma informed workshops and, you know, activist work and, you know, even bringing that into, um, my work, like as an educator, um, you know, in addition as a parent, so it's difficult for me, but I do see, um, I do see the value in, you know, not only healing myself as an individual, but healing our communities and doing it together. Thank you so much for sharing your testimonio, Ceci. I know that it's a lot more recent for you, so it's a lot more fresh, and I can only imagine how difficult it is to share. Um, <clears throat> I think for me, it's a little bit 
it's it's less um, difficult for me to talk about it because I feel like I I out myself on a regular basis. Um, Ceci and I were talking about earlier how we both have um, uh, certain dietary restrictions because of our autoimmune diseases. And, you know, for me, now that I'm like more plant-based and petty, um, when people tell me, <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, let's go eat, let's go do this, let's go do that, I do get a number of questions about, oh, why don't you eat meat? Or, um, and so then I have to go into this whole thing of like, I really love, your food looks great, it looks amazing, but... Um, it would, um, there's a really strong chance that eating, you know, that carne de res is going to give me stomach flu for several days. So I'm just not willing to take that risk and, and having to constantly out myself, I kind of, I've kind of become accustomed to sharing my daily struggles. And some people take it in a very supportive way and other people, sometimes I can sense that feeling of being judged. And so I know that with sharing these stories, we are being really vulnerable and sharing parts about ourselves that maybe we don't want the whole world to know. But I think there's a lot of strength in sharing and you never really know who you might touch. And I know that a lot of um, individuals, uh, you know, some students that I've mentored specifically have reached out to me and said, hey, Yvette, I've listened to your podcast and because of you, I changed my diet. I went vegan and it's helped with my IBS or um, because of you, I went I went to CAPS, I went to the Counseling and Psychological Services, and I've been getting help for my depression or for my anxiety. And so just knowing that sharing can lead to other people working on their own healing and their own self-care, that for me is worth um, risking the personal. Um, and then the other thing that I, I really heard from, from Ceci is I'm thinking about how complicated it is um, to manage autoimmune diseases because you can try a number of things and then you never really know what will work. I can tell you about all the different pills I tried, all the different um, elimination diets that I tried and how they just, sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't, sometimes what worked for certain months didn't work the next months. And it, it's, it's incredibly exhausting and demanding um, and in some ways sometimes even can induce new forms of trauma. And then going back to the topic of intergenerational trauma, I'm actually thinking about how, you know, I've read pieces that talk about how intergenerational trauma can get passed down from generation to generation. And I've actually had conversations with some of my students who say like, but Yvette, I was not abused as a child or I was not X, I was not Y. Like I don't have uh, a, a set experience or something formative that happened to me that led to my autoimmune disease and yet they're suffering from X, Y, and Z. And um, in those cases, you know, it may be intergenerational trauma that got passed down. It may be that it runs in the family, just like I was watching a video recently on social media and this um, woman of color was talking about how she was. Um, she had um, lupus symptoms for many years, but she didn't know what that was. So she started notice the pain and notice the rashes and just thought, okay, that's just me. And then when it got really bad, she um, mentioned it to her mom, and her mom told her, "Well, your your auntie so and so has lupus. Have you tried checking yourself for that?" And how she had to go to multiple doctors and beg and like literally beg to ask them to test her for lupus. Sure enough, they tested her. And she had it. And um, it's just, um, I, I'm thinking about how 
trauma just can get passed down and how sometimes these things run in our family and how um, even if, uh, let's say, the adverse childhood experiences are are done, you're not getting any triggers, there are still things in our day-to-day that are intersectional, especially as women of color, um, like the daily microaggressions that contribute to it in ways that we don't even realize. Like every day someone... Um, presuming that you're incompetent. Every day, someone making a snappy comment about your diet. Every day, someone, um, you know, making it difficult for you to live your life in a healthy way or trying to impose on your boundaries, that can affect you. And so I just wanted to mention that too, that, you know, sometimes we don't even realize what kind of traumas have been passed down to me that maybe we, we cannot, you know, specifically name or identify. Yeah. And then some of the um, I'm going to speak really quickly about some resources and books that kind of um, really resonates exactly what Yvette's saying about um, the things that are hard to name or identify in terms of um, how intergenerational trauma you know, is passed from one generation to another. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I talked about this with my therapist who um, I really like, even though um, he's a white man. I know I have. Really? (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the good ones. (laughs) I have a white boy therapist. But um, but the Uh, reason... Let him do that work. (laughs) He better serve you. (laughs) What is it? Reparations? I will take those. Yes. yes. I'm like, you are paid to, you know, watch me cry and completely melt down. He should be paying you. you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's racial capitalism. It's all your fault. Um, no, but he's been good. I think the reason that I like him is because he does, you know, because, uh, there's like a quiz that you can take, like, it's like a list of 10 things of adverse childhood experiences. And, you know, so I have seven out of 10, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And, um, so I went and told him that and I was just, you know, that day I was just feeling like pretty low and, you know, crying like a mess. Like literally I've cried every single time in therapy and acupuncture. (laughs) I'm like, my goal in life is to like not to cry during acupuncture, you know, maybe that when I'm in the future, when I'm healed a little bit more, but, um, but it's awkward in acupuncture because they put the needles in my hands. So like, I can't like wipe my face. (laughs) So I'm just like lying there with like needles on my hands. Okay. But anyway, um, so my therapist, it's, he said something and he's like, well, don't get too hung up on like the number or how many, um, you know, it's good to be aware of it because I think there needs to be more awareness of, you know, the implications are, especially for like Latinx communities and communities of color. But what I liked what my therapist said, because he said, um, you know, think of, he kind of tried to reframe it and said, well, you know, instead of thinking about um, post-traumatic stress disorder, think about like post-traumatic growth, like how, you know, kind of flipping it, like how do we, um, you know, can we, instead of looking at it through like that deficit perspective, um, which is true, you know, because we are, we do experience these things that are traumatic or stressful, but at the same time, you know, what's the looking for, like the resiliency and, um, what are the pathways to healing? And there are many pathways. Yeah. And, um, actually the other thing I wanted to say is I know it's just the two of us, Ceci and, and, and I here today, but, um, you know, some of the other members of Chicana Motherwork who couldn't make it today um, did want to contribute. Um, today, specifically, Christine 
um, was able to provide us with a little recording of her thoughts regarding autoimmune disease. So we're going to take a minute to share that with you before Ceci moves forward with talking about some of the book recommendations that she has. Hello, hello, this is Christine. Um, so I am sending in like a pre-recorded voice message and voice memo to my colegas and comadres Yvette and Ceci. Um, so I wanted to also jump in on this conversation about autoimmune disease uh, that some of us have had um, happen to us the last few months, maybe even years, and we haven't been aware. But um, for me, I've also had an issue with um, the loss of hair because of um, alopecia. Um, I didn't know I had alopecia, but I think what my mom was explaining to me, who also has alopecia, is that um, that sometimes it's triggered by stress. And, you know, granted, academia, you know, is a very stressful um, career, you know, even if we're just grad students, it's very stressful. So managing um, the academy as a student, as a worker, as a parent, as an organizer, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot on, on our bodies. And so I've noticed how um, when my stress levels are really high, um, I, I've experienced hair loss. And so I... Um, was um, referred to an acupuncturist years ago and I've been seeing um, Andrea Penagos who we had in our podcast before but most recently because of the coverage of my insurance which you see students have really great insurance packages thanks to the fight of union workers and students we have amazing amazing insurance and we're still fighting for um, better health care access and services um, but for my insurance um, coverage, I get to see an acupuncturist outside of my um, UC network that's covered by my insurance. And again, I don't know across the board of across UCs if that changes for people. But for me, I've had this privilege of seeing someone like Jenny Garcia, who's been seeing me for over a year now. And um, I've started to experience some of the symptoms of alopecia, uh, hair loss, and she took care of me. She took care of me. She treated me. Um, and not just for that, but she's also treated me for stress and um, other issues that I have with my body. I have um, a knee injury that was... Um, then I had to take, I had actually get surgery on my left knee. I had ACL and a meniscus tear that I took care of in 2005. But now with my age and after, you know, like pretty um, rigorous cardio running and other kinds of training, I've, I feel the effects of my knees kind of giving out a little bit or just the pain. So she treats me for that. And she treats me for a lot of other things. So I'm really grateful for for the work she does. Um, and she's a local um, Angelino. And she's from the local um, Culver City area. But she treats patients both here in the west side and in the east side of Los Angeles. And I can provide her information um, towards the end. But I want to give her a shout out because what she does is amazing work. And she works a lot with students. So if you're a UC student, especially if you're at UCLA, I would tap into this amazing, resourceful, and um, just just bomb acupuncturist, um, Jenny Garcia. Um, 
the other thing I wanted to bring up is some of the things I do to take care of my body other than being plant-based and petty, like Ceci likes to say. But um, we, our family is mostly plant-based, but we also um, are more con- like conscious of not eating red meats. Um, it's just our body just can't handle it anymore. And Honey too, basically when he was born, um, I was a vegetarian before he was born. But once I was pregnant, that changed. Um, he's really not interested in meat as much. He, 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 when he was eating solids, he was just literally like a little vegan baby other than my milk. Um, he just didn't care for um, red meats or cheeses. He still doesn't care for cheese, only on pizza, which is funny, but that's all he cares for. Um, but in our household, we eat a lot of frijoles y arroz, um, brown rice and beans. Um, he likes fish. He likes salmon. He likes sushi. He's a little bougie. Um, he doesn't really eat eat it often um there's some days that he he'll request it but we just can't afford sushi um but it's mostly like the california rolls which is like you know crab fake crab um but in our household we 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 eat a lot of plant-based foods um we're really hardcore panero so we also like eating pan but we we like this really awesome bread um i want to give you the name of it i don't know if y'all have seen it but and we're not endorsed by any of these peoples but um we like to eat is it dave's where is it yeah it's dave's um killer bread it's thin like not the thin slice but that also works but we do the multi-green one the green bags and you can actually find them at costco like for two bags for like seven bucks or eight bucks which is really good because each bag um at a conventional grocery store is like six bucks for one bag so we like eating that kind of bread but one practice we picked up which i'm becoming really really loyal to is the acv with lemon and himalayan sea salt um and the acv apple cider vinegar um with the mother and we use in our household we use a bragg's brand we use two tablespoons and we mix in with a little bit of water, like maybe four ounces of water, with a dash of Himalayan sea salt and lemon, and drink that in the morning. And we were honored with stainless steel straws, because if you drink ACV just like that, it'll start to break down your enamel, and that's not healthy. But the ACV helps with so many things like balancing your pH, balancing your body. It also detoxifies your body. The Himalayan sea salt are minerals that we need um, for workouts or just in general in our body. Um, and let me read what this says right here on the Ace, on the Bragg's vinegar drink, um, apple cider vinegar. It says, delicious ideal pick-me-ups at home, work, sports, and gym, perfect taken three times daily upon arising mid-morning and mid-afternoon. And the um, receta they have is one to two tablespoons of Bragg's organic vinegar in an eight ounce glass, purified water and sweetening. Some people will um, put honey. Optional to taste. So one to two tablespoons of organic honey, 100% maple syrup, blackstrap molasses or four drops of herb stevia. And I haven't really done it with the um, 
honey but i actually have molasses so i might try with the molasses but i really like how it tastes in the morning with the lim half a lemon Himalayan sea salt the apple cider vinegar in the water and there's days where i can take it as a shot like just quick and it's fine like i'm okay with it so those are the things that we practice here at home um both alfredo and i drink those in the morning um before our day and i have noticed that if i'm like sluggish and tired like i will drink one and i'm like up like i'm awake so that's what we do um in our household to take care of ourselves and we're aging so it's something that we do to take care of our aging <laughs> bodies um so yeah okay. all right so just you know, as you know, that was Christine Vega sharing her thoughts. And um, actually, before Ceci moves on to books, I uh, I know that we both wanted to bring up an article um, that we found on this um, blog called This Bridge Called Our Health, .wordpress.com. It's, um, what's the title? The title is Living Beyond Survival, 11 Tips for Women of Color in Academia, and it's by a fellow woman of color who talks about her, um, the ways that she has navigated having rheumatoid arthritis while in graduate school. And she provides a series of different um, recommendations, tips for how to manage it. And um, I mean, some of the tips, I, we don't have to go through all of them, but I really like how she says... Um, to try to accept love from other women, for especially from other women of color, to secure funding for healing, because that's another thing she mentions, how with her graduate student stipend, um, after taking out her bills and after um, uh, counting for medical bills as well, that she's left with very, very little money, and how she, she also follows a plant-based diet, so then she tries to buy mostly organic, but how she struggles with, I mean, financially. So she tries to find funding for healing. And that's very important. I know that's been an issue for me too, because um, I haven't been very good at prioritizing, saving up money for things like acupuncture um, and massages and um, other forms of medication uh, that are not just maybe like herb-based medications. So what else does she say? She says, write about what angers you. I really like that because I find that to be really um, cathartic when I write. As, most of the time when I'm writing, I'm just pissed. So <laughs> hater, hater. But afterwards, I'm like, oh, it feels so good to be petty. <laughs> we're, we're always petty, so yeah, it's okay. I feel you. And, um, and then obviously prioritizing activities that that are life-giving to you and and I mean along with that one of the things I always tell people um even just myself is just set boundaries that's really really important to do and that's like my own personal recommendation is just try to figure out what your boundaries are what your limits are and keep them because there will be people all the time trying to ask for your time for your energy and um some of us just you know we only have um you know there's a term that's called like a spoonie now, for those of us that do have um, chronic health issues or autoimmune diseases, and um, the theory behind that, if I remember correctly, because I haven't read it in, mm, it's, been a, it's been a while, it's been at least several months, um, that, 
you know, if you were to be allotted a certain number of spoons and that refers to the energy that you have to do things, those of us that are spoonies may only have like three or four spoons a day versus everybody else has an unlimited number of spoons. So if you ask someone to go out, those of us with autoimmune disease might be like, fuck, that was my last spoon. Like, I have no energy. And other people are like, let's stay out all night. So um, just keep that in mind. Keep in mind that, you know, our energy levels are are precious and that we need to be mindful of that because even when we have good days or even good weeks, sometimes even good months, you never know when your next um, trigger, when your next, um, uh, what's the word for it? Like your next uh, episode. Or- episode, yeah, will will come up. And that's for those of us that are lucky enough that go through remissions. Uh, but then there are some of us who are just in daily, daily pain. So you really have to be be mindful of that. All right, Ceci, go ahead. <laughs> so um, I have um, three book recommendations. So these are books that I really, really um, think are important to the conversation of um, mental health and adverse childhood experiences and centering people of color because, you know, I've been going to um, individual therapy and then uh, group therapy at USC and, you know, USC is a predominantly white institution. So um, there's actually an essay I want to write called therapy with white people because I'm just like the racial violence, like the white tears, uh, the erasure of, you know, intersectionality, just like, in some ways I've learned a lot of strategies, but in other ways it's just been completely um, exhausting in terms of like, because what it is, it's racial violence, you know, and I'm just there trying to access mental health resources. So, you know, I'm kind of like forever a sad brown girl. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag sad brown girl. (laughs) And, um, so one book that I do like, uh, written by a woman of color, Dr. Nadine Harris. Uh, she's a black woman MD. She's the mother of Jamaican immigrants. So, immigrant parents uh it's called the deepest well um and the subtitle is healing the long-term effects of childhood adversity so she writes about um there are six things that can help so these are the six things that emerging uh that's emerging in science that has been shown to um you know help the effects of adverse childhood experiences so that's adequate sleep uh nutrition Exercise at least 30 minutes a day of getting your heart rate up, uh, daily meditation, healthy relationships, yeah, and um, mental health services. Yes, we need all the healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. So she, as an MD, her mission is to get adverse childhood experiences as part of um, healthcare, you know, just as part of the procedure for, you know, every child in the United States and beyond. Uh, but in the book, she talks about how she there's actually a lot of um, resistance to that. So for, you know, a lot of it is like racist and classist. But hopefully one day, you know, adverse childhood experiences will be part of just our everyday kind of mental, uh, you know, medical care. So what I was thinking about when I read her book is, OK, so, you know, there are the six the six things that can help, you know, the sleep, nutrition, exercise meditation, healthy relationships and mental health services. So how can we do this as Chiganas with like limited financial resources? Like what if we're poor or what if we have like, um, you know, just less social capital to even access some of these things or, you know, um, the, or even like the trauma or daily stress of like racism and how do we practice these kind of healthier models when it's like not modeled by many of our family members or others? Um, 
So that's one question that I have, you know, how can we, and some of it, like, yeah, we can do meditation at home with like free apps, but, um, you know, how can we do this on a larger scale and with our communities and our families? So the next book, it's really, really interesting. It's called um, My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies by Rezma Menakim. And he writes about, and it's written by a black male therapist. Um, so again, you know, mental health can be so white. So anytime a person of color has any resource, I'm just like all about it. So he says that um, it's a really interesting argument to read this as an academic because he says that education alone and workshops alone will not solve uh, racial trauma. He says what will solve it is body-centered or somatic healing. And he argues that this is true because um, trauma, any kind of trauma and including racialized trauma is stored in our bodies and it will get stuck in there. And that harm will come, will harm others until we heal ourselves. Um, so one thing he talks about is the vagus nerve and he calls it the soul nerve. So it is part of, uh, the human, any human body. Um, it, it kind of connects, um, from your brainstem all the way, like down your throat and like wraps around like your heart and goes to your stomach. So it's just like this long windy nerve and, um, and the vagus nerve, it only communicates with sensations and vibrations. So that's why like when something bad happens and you feel like your stomach sink, that's like your vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve, it's connected to um, our lizard brain. And um, so the vibrations and sensations we get from the vagus nerve, um, it first has to go through our lizard brain, which only understands fight, flight, or fleeing. And our higher order thinking, like reasoning and logic, it first has to go through that lizard brain. So he says that's why we have to address racial trauma by healing the body and the vagus nerve. So he says there's many ways to do it, including like meditation and exercises and like specific um, practices that he does in mental health. And another thing that I really liked is what he said is actually, Eva, I kind of want to do this with Chicana Mother work, hopefully at our next retreat, where he says um, we're responsible for creating our own like uh, self-care growth plan. But, you know, I'm thinking so, you know, no one else can do that healing work for you. But I but there also is that benefit of doing it in community. So, like, I don't know if we were to sit down, Yvette, and like make a worksheet or something like what would be on that growth plan? And, um, you know, how can we help each other um, to try different things or to be accountable for each other, you know, on a holistic kind of way? And, you know, taking into account like archigana feminist um yeah. traditions and knowledge i'm wondering how we could then use that to create something that we could share with the public that way they themselves can also create their own growth plans yeah so i have like so many ideas that i want to do the last thing that i love about this book is that he goes in on white supremacy and it's just it felt so delicious reading that uh especially after my experiences in group therapy with white people where um it they try to make it a very apolitical space but really what that does is create um more racialized trauma at least for me so to read his words where he's going in on you know white supremacy and white folks and he is demanding that they take uh their own healing into their own hands without taking or demanding that labor from people of color so 
If you're into reading about dismantling white supremacy through mental health, this is the book for you. The last book I'll recommend is a book called Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. So this is a book that's based upon the philosophies of the black feminist science fiction writer Octavia Butler. And um, Adrienne Marie Brown wrote it to for the purposes of political organizing. So it's not necessarily focused on mental health, but what she does discuss, I think is also very relevant in the sense that she talks about strengthening relationships and strengthening communities. So she talks about, um, that healing is a skill, that it's something that can be learned and that we can teach each other. She talks about um, practicing vulnerability and generosity with each other. She talks about um, rejecting uh, disposability politics. She talks about how um, collaboration with each other isn't the, is not the only way that we will survive. And she also has a section on um, assessing yourself and creating your own emergent strategy journal. She has spells and practices for emergent strategy. She has tools for emergent strategy. And so, you know, I absolutely love this book and I have notes written everywhere in it. And I think the part that is uh, most relevant is um, how we can uh, be accountable to each other as we are on our growth and healing journeys. And then the last thing I want to recommend is um, for the parents out there, um, there are classes and books about um, what's called trauma-informed parenting. And I wanted to take this because um, I'm taking a class that's going to start next April by Echo Parenting here in Southern California. And the reason I want to take this class is because I see kind of um, how my son has um, witnessed certain things with my family and... Um, kind of his behavioral reactions. And so I do want to find more strategies about how to um, heal. So I'll let you all know what that's like. So now here we have um, Christine Vega, our colega, and she's going to talk about some of the women of color healers and resources and how to connect with them in a voice memo. And so if you want to reach out to people like Jenny Garcia, her services include acupuncture, herbal medicine, cupping, nutritional counseling, energy healing, and Tuina. And Tuina is Chinese bodywork used in conjunction with acupuncture. And um, her telephone number is 323-835-7404. And her email address is J-E-N-N-Y-G-A-R-C-I-A. A-C-U at gmail.com. Um, and she has a website, which is Jenny Garcia um, acupuncture.com. Um, and then you can actually just read through the things that she does, like her about um, her services, testimonials, her contact information, and locations where she services both in West LA and in East LA. Um, and again, she's taken care of me for a very long time. And my um, good friend, um, um, my good friends actually come see her. Um, but again, we have this privilege because we have this insurance that covers um, this kind of service. But we're blessed in that way. But it's also like the, the money we pay for our insurance goes back to these services um, that we deserve um, because, you know, the academy uh, 
are sitting down and reading and writing really takes a toll on our backs and our bodies and our spirit and our mind. So if we're well, then we can perform well. And I'm a big believer of that. So um, yeah, reach out to Jenny. You can also reach out to Andrea Penagos. We mentioned her before um, to take care of like, you know, um, autoimmune disease. So Andrea Penagos is also a good friend of ours and she's been on our podcast. And if you want to get a hold of her, she does very similar work. and She's just an amazing person. Um, you can reach her by going to her website, andreapenagos.com. And you can also book an appointment through her website or you can call her to book an appointment at 323-578-0703. And she works out of Mid-City. So they're really local to this part of Los Angeles. And I hope that that helps y'all. Thank you so much, Christine, for sharing your healing practitioners with us. Everyone hit them up now. in the future, we also want to develop writing workshops um, within Chicana Mother Work um, to offer to the community to address intergenerational trauma, healing, and mothering as women of color. So please stay tuned for that. We definitely want to keep the conversation going, and we um, want to keep the healing together as mothers of color to break the cycle of intergenerational trauma. And we would love to hear your stories. So you can share your stories in the form of commenting, letting us know with a personal message. The other thing I want to kind of recommend that, you know, we're always in the look for new um, blog posts. So if if some of this resonated with you and want to share your story, your testimonial, um, managing, dealing with, or even... Um, overcoming different autoimmune diseases and let us know send us uh, a message we'll work with you so that way you can contribute to our blog Um, thank you so much for listening now before we go don't forget to follow us on instagram um, at chicana mother work facebook is also chicana mother work on twitter we are at chicana mothers and of course our website is chicanamotherwork.com thank you muchas gracias thanks for listening